Welcome to Day 38 of Shaped by the Word. I'm Paul Kemp. I'm here with Matthew Kresge and Catherine Kresge. Like so here we are uh, moving through uh, Luke. We come to a strategic point in uh, Luke's narrative. Uh, Luke begins you know, his narrative in, in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, John the Baptist's birth is revealed in the temple in Jerusalem. And then he takes us, you know, beyond the boundaries of Jerusalem out to Galilee and focuses on Jesus' ministry in Galilee. And then the second movement is the the road trip or the journey from Galilee, you know, to the city of Jerusalem. And finally, we come to Jerusalem. And when we come to Jerusalem, we come to the final week of Jesus' life. Uh, these are the days leading up uh, to, the, to the cross. So we begin in the middle of chapter 19 and verse 28. And um, as we always do, we... We come to Scripture in order to know God and to uh, see His glory, to be shaped by Him, to be transformed into His image. And so this is more than just you know an exercise in reading. This is a, a relational exercise in which we come before God and open ourselves to Him and open ourselves to hear Him. So let me lead us in prayer as we start. Father, we thank You for the wonderful gift of Your Word. We thank You that You are a God who has spoken. You have made yourself known. You've revealed your heart to us and the character of your word as it has your very breath in it from beginning to end. We thank you that you have revealed yourself in your son. And we pray, Father, as David prayed in the Psalms, that you would open our eyes, that we'd behold wonderful things as we turn into your word. You're a good God, and we thank you for this good gift. May you continue your work in us, building us up in Christ Jesus until the day that we see him. Amen. Luke 19, verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a coat tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the coat, its owners asked them, why are you untying the coat? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day, what would bring you peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, My house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him, yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. Mm -hmm. 
So you have the sense of foreboding, but you see Jesus uh, acting uh, as as the true king. Mm-hmm. You know, beginning you know with the prophecy of Zechariah, you know, coming in, you know, riding gentle mm-hmm. on a colt. Uh, Caesar would have, you know, uh, or Pilate would have entered the city just a few days earlier with all the power and all the prestige of Rome. And, of course, he would not have been riding on a colt that had never been written, but on a probably a brilliant white horse with all of his banners and all of his, you know, all of his display of the glory of Rome. And here is the humility, you know, of Christ, which is, uh, you know, it's a, a picture of what is about to take place, what we would call the humiliation mm-hmm. of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the invitation has been, you know, throughout Luke, uh, that whoever humbles, you know, whoever uh, humbles himself will be exalted. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Mm-hmm. And that is part of the, the great reversal. So as you guys read this passage, what are some of the things that stand out? Oh, man, so much. Um, you really kind of hit on a lot of the things that really hit me during in that first um, passage. But, I mean, I, as you were talking, I was just thinking about he really is the only king who deserves the biggest grand entry, right? He he deserves all of it. And yet he chose to humble himself. It's not it's not just what he got stuck with. It's it's what he chose um, to fulfill prophecy, but he just has that kind of heart and continual of that of that great yeah. reversal we've been talking about. But. And beautiful Old Testament illusion, see your king humble and riding on a colt, mm-hmm. riding on a foal. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think one of the things that is interesting just in the details of the story as Luke's telling it is he leaves out the palm branches and he, he leaves out, you know, some of the other details that the other writers include. And, and I, I mean, we could speculate as to why he does it, but I, I think he really is trying to emphasize just the, you know, kind of Jesus as the humble king, you know, that he enters into the city and there's you know, some people who are crying out, but then there's a lot of opposition, you know, and there's people who aren't there receiving him. Yeah, and yet I love the the psalm, and I think Luke's the only one that includes this, right? It says, "Blessed is a king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest." And I mean, what an encapsulation! We've been traveling with Luke, you know, in this tra- travel narrative, approaching Jerusalem, and we we finally get there, and it's, I mean, it's a celebration, but it it almost just appears to be this mild kind of entrance, like a cult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people are just throwing down their cloaks, and, and I get there's some Old Testament precedent there but what about the fanfare what i mean yeah. like, what you would expect to be fit for a king yeah it doesn't come and yet you know we see it because the type of king he is yeah. and we can't miss you know that whenever they find the cult you know jesus tells them the circumstances under which they'll find yeah. it and they find it exactly as jesus said and you have that just as he had told them and we've already heard that a couple of times in the beginning of luke is uh, John's birth unfolds just as God had told him. Not one word from the Lord yeah. will ever fall to the ground. And so you see what has happened in Yahweh or in the Lord or in God now happening in Jesus. His word is going to be exactly as he has told us. And, and it's a beautiful image. And, of course, you know, uh, Luke brings out you know, the passage where the, uh, the Pharisees rebuke him. And, of course, for good reason, any any pretension of being Messiah, king, or political upheaval would have drawn the attention of Rome and maybe even swift action on the part of Rome. We read a passage, you know, last week where 
uh, you know, Pilate actually killed Galileans and their blood mingled, you know, with their mm-hmm. sacrifices. And so they're a little bit afraid of that. And Jesus says, this is inevitable. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, this person can be quiet and this person can be quiet, but the earth will not be quiet. Mm-hmm. Creation will not be quiet. And, and of course, you know, the reference, you know, is, is to the stones of the temple. Mm-hmm. Actually, recognizing the coming of the glory of God and the stones of this temple, you know, crying, you know, crying out. And I always, really, even until this morning, I always thought he was just specifically talking about, you know. And by the way, that was Katie's passage. I just stole it from her. No, you didn't. She, we no, were you talking. Didn't. No. We were talking earlier. And <laughs> no, you really didn't, because I can expound. But like, I've always pictured just, you know, he's saying that even the stones will cry out because he is not just a, a king of humans; he is the king of creation, right? So. So even the rocks will cry out because he's king of all of it. But until this morning when I went back to the passage that it's that he's quoting and he's referring to Habakkuk or Habakkuk, however you say it, two eleven, right? You've given us a couple of choices, so we can go either way. <laughs> say it however you want. Yeah. Um, but where what's really a passage that that speaks of God's judgment on the the people who are not with him. And of course, you know, Jesus, when he continues about Jerusalem, he talks about that judgment, but he's saying like, I can keep them quiet, but the stones will cry out and there is judgment coming. And you're right in witness yeah. against you. Yeah. Uh, they have been here all of these years they've and they've witnessed all of your injustice and yeah. they will cry out in witness against you. And so that is, yeah. you know, honestly the message that is, is coming to the Pharisees. Yeah. That's, and that's yeah, the striking yeah, part yeah. of this. It's, yeah. it's to the Pharisees. It's the, to the ones who have been upholding the law and teaching the law, you know, and, Jesus, they say, rebuke your disciples. How dare they, you know, they cry out in a joyful way and praise God for all the miracles that you've done. Rebuke them. And Jesus says, if I remain silent, you know, even the stones are going to rebuke you. You might want to hear them yes. <laughs> and not hear these stones, Yeah, you know, as they, as they call out. Would it be fair to say that the Pharisees in that moment are concerned with just a, more concerned with the Roman um, reaction to this whole moment, kind of like concerned about culture and looking at kind of what's around them instead of being concerned about spiritual things and what's happening. I don't know. I'm just processing it. Like, I mean, their eyes aren't fixed in the right place. And if they were, they would see there's something much bigger, much more exciting happening here that like, even if Rome does something, there's something bigger at play here. But well, if you follow the narrative of Luke, uh, these are the ones uh, against whom the great reversals are announced. Mm-hmm. So they have it, you know, they have it really well. You know, one of their members was a rich young ruler. He was, he was wealthy. Many of them would have been wealthy. Uh, many of them would have had, you know, just really, you know, I, you, you think back to the prophets said, woe to you who are at ease in Zion. And so these are the people that had all the world's good things. And uh, so what they really you know, were concerned with more than anything else was not Rome, but their own sense of status quo. Mm-hmm. They they had a good, the system was very favorable to them. Let's keep things the way they are. Let's not rock, you know, not rock the boats. Mm-hmm. And of course, we need to be careful about that too, that we right. don't get comfortable and not, you know, let, uh, you know, let the gospel kind of shake us up and turn our world upside down. Mm-hmm. And just as we've been reading Luke, I mean, the enemy to Jesus and his ministry you want to call them enemies, it hasn't been Rome. I mean, there's really been little mention, you know, if any of Rome, it's it's always been the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Right. And, and we're seeing that kind of conflict come to a head as, as they realize something. I mean, because as you're reading this, they recognize something 
knew was happening in the person of Jesus. I mean, there had been a lot of messiahs, you know, messiahs come and yeah. air quotes for those of you that are listening. <laughs> yeah, you know, these kind of false messiahs come on the scene and they had seen them come and go. And even so much so that when you get when we get to the book and of even Acts, those of you that are watching, that was only half an air quote. <laughs> yeah, but in, 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 anyway, yeah. when we get to the book of Acts, you know, you're going to have uh, as Gamaliel say, you know, if, if this is what the Lord is doing, let's not be found, you know, standing against him. But they so they had seen this sort of thing. But I mean, in the person of Jesus, they had never seen anything like this, and yet they still found themselves now they opposing were him. they were more than happy for Jesus to join their team. Yeah. Uh, but they were not, you know, happy for Jesus to challenge, you know, their values and their priorities and their, you know, sense of self righteousness yeah. and smugness, as we've already seen. And that was in the same invitation. I think this is, is important because we can kind of read that like Jesus's invitation isn't the same to the Pharisees as it is to everyone else. But yeah. his invitation to them has been the same. You know, deny yourself and follow me. You know, yeah. And and they just weren't willing to do that. They liked their own interpretation of the law better than the law itself. And that's I think that's a dangerous place no to doubt. be. Yeah. And then of course, deeply moving. You know, as he uh, he comes over the top of the Mount of Olives, and they begin you know to go down in, into the city. It says as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, verse forty one, "If you even you had only known this day that would bring you peace." But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground. You and the children within the walls, uh, they will not leave one stone on another because you didn't recognize the time of God's coming to you. And uh, an incredible passage, you know, speaking first of all of what could have happened. You know, what could have been if you had recognized and embraced your king, you would have enjoyed, you know, the peace, you know, that the Old Testament and the shalom that the Old Testament promised. But instead, your rejection of the king will soon lead to your judgment. And, of course, he's talking about the events of, you know, the destruction of Jerusalem that would take place, you know, in in 70 AD, less than 40 years, you know, later. Mm -hmm. uh, As the city is completely destroyed, they had been on a trajectory of rejection of God and judgment by God, and the judgment would eventually end yeah. with the destruction uh, of the city. Mm. We talked earlier about the disciples going and finding the cult, and they found it just as he had told them. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, just historically speaking, AD 70 comes, and we find it just as Jesus had yeah. said. Yeah. I think David talked about it in a sermon a few weeks ago about how uh, God's omniscience, right? Didn't he talk about no, am I wrong? Well, Power. yeah, he was in omnipotence, but I'm sure he was omniscient. Somebody that talked he was talking about how God not only—I think maybe it was you—God only God not only knows what will happen, but what could have happened. You talked about that, didn't you? I'm remembering that now. My bad, but yeah, he's saying Jesus is saying this is what will happen, but this is what could have happened. You could have experienced yeah. peace, and it would have been mm. amazing, but. Yeah, and then further on, when you talked earlier about how he turned things upside down, he literally turns tables upside down, right? But um, he quotes, um, he says in verse 46, my house will be made a house of prayer. And then that's actually from Isaiah 56. And you go back to that passage, and um, he says it's it would be a house of prayer for all nations. And of course, um, yeah. some of the other gospel writers include that for all nations, but... 
um, that actually brought me to tears this morning because you read this whole chapter of Isaiah 56 and he's, he's saying that people, foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord, who love the name of the Lord and choose to be the, his servants, they will get to worship in the house of the Lord. All nations um, will get to, to be a part of this. And sadly, like that means, I mean, some will be excluded. Those who think they're in are going to be excluded from this, yeah. but those who, who have been considered on the outside will be brought in. And man, what a... Uh, the parable of great banquet, many from the east and the west and the north and the south uh, will join Abraham, you know, at that table. Uh, but many uh, of the kingdom will be left out. And you get that. And that it's, and this is where, you know, Jesus comes in and is received, you know, as a king. And then he acts as the king. Uh, you know, the, the temple, you know, being a house of prayer for all nations as a devotion to, you know, his, his heavenly father. And so he, he takes charge of the temple. And, of course, we come into the next chapter, and the question will be asked, where, where in the world did you get that kind of authority? Who told you you could do that? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a demonstration of his authority over the things of God and the house of God and the people of God. Mm-hmm. Katie, do you mind closeness with a word of prayer? Father, thank you so much for including us. I mean, we don't deserve it. We don't, we've done nothing to deserve being included in your people, included in, um, in the worship of your children. But we get to participate in something so amazing. We get to fall at your feet. We get to stand before you, but not because of our power or our righteousness, but because of the righteousness of this man that, about whom we're reading, about whom um, we are in awe of, this man, Jesus, who um, gave his life so that we could be brought in. So thank you, God, for, um, for that reversal, that the king humbled himself and died on a cross for our sakes. Thank you that that changes us and would you continue to use that good news to change us and to, to use us in, in this world um, to, to bring about um, the restoration that you have for us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.